pray with me. Father, thank you. It's a great song, Father. I just um, sing it, sing it because we want that to be true. But Father, we also sing it, at least I do, Father, I sing it uh, knowing that I need your grace. (laughs) So often, I don't give you all of me, all of my life. I hold stuff back. I don't trust you as much as I should. Father, I think that's true probably for all of us in this room. So we come to you right now um, to listen to you, learn from you, because we want you to grow us, grow us in our faith, grow us as people that really live that out. That's my prayer. And all God's people said, Amen. amen. Thank you so much. Thank you, Toby and the band. Good morning. Hey, if you got a Bible, you need it. Open it up to Genesis chapter 15 today. Genesis chapter 15. We're going to actually look at 15 and 16. We're continuing our series called The God of Our Fathers. We're studying Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, but we're really not studying them. We're studying their God because we're going to see again today that their God is our God. Their God is the same God, and we're going to be studying how we relate to him today and especially How we relate to a God that we're going to learn is faithful to deliver even when we don't. There's an outline provided as always that really will help you today in a couple cases as we're tracking through the message. You may want to pull it out as well. When I thought about how to start the message today, uh, my past week and one particular day came to mind. I needed to get uh, something booked for an upcoming trip. I needed to get a flight booked, actually, and I'm online doing it like I'm supposed to now. Don't call those travel agents, you know. Just do it yourself online. And I'm on uh, a website that I will not name, but, but the United website just wasn't working for me. <laughs> I'm sorry, I shouldn't have said that. Fly the friendly skies, yeah. So I'm on the website, and I'm trying to book my flight, and I book my flight, but then they want more information. I'm trying to book a car, and they want more information, and, and you know, I'm, I'm, I'm typing in all this data. I've got to type in all my information, and then they want my, my frequent flyer number, and then they want my, 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 my gold club, and they want this and that, and I get all of that in, and then they pop up another screen. Now you need the credit card info, and I thought, well, I've already given that, but no, 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 so I'm typing it all in. You ever done this? And then you get to the end, and I'm thinking, Great. This is one thing I can check off my list. I am done. And I hit book it. I hit confirm. And all of a sudden, up comes this message. It says error message. Yeah, error message. So I go through it a second time. I must have made a mistake. And I do it everything else. I double check it. I did it all right. Up error message. And it says, finally at the error message, it says, if you continue to have this problem, you should call us at 1-800-blah-blah-blah-blah-blah. So I'm thinking, great, okay. So at least I have an 800 number. So I call the 800 number, right? And, 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 I, and, I, and, they, and first they say, before we help you, before we get a real person to help you, can you enter some information, answer some basic questions? I'm thinking, I don't want to answer any more questions. I want a real person. But I go through all that they want me to do. And then finally, I get through to the connection. And the connection goes through, and all of a sudden I hear this message. You ever heard this? We are, we're sorry, but we're experiencing an extra heavy volume of calls at this moment due to some crazy hurricane somewhere. So please, we appreciate your patience as you put on hold. And they put me on hold, and I get to listen to some of the worst music I've ever heard. Now I'm listening to their United jingle and their music and blah, 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 blah. And then all, you know, about four, three or four minutes later it comes back on. 
Thank you for your patience. Now, at first, they don't know I'm being patient. In fact, I'm losing my patience. But they, they think I'm being patient, which was a good thing. I think that pleases God. At least, it's ple- at least it's fooled them. So, you know, and finally they come on and they say, you know, we appreciate your patience, but due to a heavy call volume, uh, we'll, you know, we'll be with you when we can. Blah, 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 blah. Music, music, music. And then finally, finally I get a real person. Finally I begin to get to someone who might be able to help me. Uh, and then next thing you know, I'm on hold again. And nothing happened. And oh, I was so frustrated. I was so frustrated. And here's why. I had a problem. Their direction was, if you got this problem, call this number. And we have someone who help you. And all I got was on hold. Now, by the way, had a good end of the story. Turns out they were very nice and helped me book my flight later in the day. But, you know, I thought about that story, and I thought about the life of Abraham that we're studying this morning. And I thought, you know, it's one thing to get direction, call this number, and then just be put on hold and hear the music. But what if you listen to the Word of God and it says, you know, if you have a problem, God says, call on me. So I call on God. And it just sounds like he's not listening. In other words, it feels sometimes, I've gone through things in my life where sometimes I've had a need and I I pray about it and I bring it to God and from what I can tell, I'm on hold. If I'm not on hold, I don't know what he's doing. Is he doing something with my problem or not? It'd be nice if he could just at least come online and say, hey, Dale, I got you covered, but it's going to be next year. It's going to be in a month. It's going to be in a week, but I hear nothing. So I go to church and I hear the music about God. I hear some God music, but I don't seem to be hearing from God. God doesn't seem to be showing up, solving my problem. Now, my guess is you've had that happen to you. True or false? Sometimes we have a problem. It's a real problem. We pray about it. We want to trust God. We want to put our faith in God. But God just doesn't seem either to be listening or maybe does He not care or does He know He can't really do anything about it, but we're just on hold with God. So I keep trying to trust Him and and sometimes it becomes tough. Well, today we're going to study that exact issue so if you're ever wondering so what does god want me to do what does god does god want me to handle the times in which i've got a real need in my life maybe it's a need for a job maybe it's a real need with an illness or maybe it's it's a scary need with one of my children or my grandchildren or maybe it's maybe it's uh, maybe it's impending cancer maybe it's dealing with what's the what's the end game here well, you know uh, what whatever the problem might be Maybe it's trying to get victory over some addiction or something you're struggling with. But you really do have faith. And in faith, you really do pray. And you kind of feel like I'm on hold. How do you deal with that? The backdrop to today's story is this. Here it is in a statement. The backdrop to today's passage is Abram, chosen by God, believing in God, yet struggling with unbelief 
I mean, he had definitely come to faith. He was definitely believing in God. In fact, we know from the background of last week's message, Abram was a guy that was chosen by God for some reason, and, and, and he believed in God. He believed in the God of Israel. He believed in the God that, that of the Old Testament. He put his faith in him, so much so that when God said in last week's message that Ryan did so well, hey, I want you to leave your family, leave your culture, leave your religion, leave your, your, your family behind, Leave the Ur of the Chaldees and go to a land that I will show you. Because I'm going to make you the father of a great nation. You're going to have many descendants. You'll be the father of a great nation in a great land. I'm going to bless you so that you can be a blessing to others. And in fact, through you, all the world will be blessed. And we know that ultimately, that was through Jesus Christ, the Messiah that was sent to come and to live and to die for our sins and raise from the dead. That was the ultimate fulfillment of that. But we know that Abraham believed. Abraham got up, packed his stuff, took off with his nephew Lot and his wife Sarah and a few other people, and, and he headed up and he went to a place called Haran in the far north, kind of picture the northern end of, 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 of Iraq, and, and he's up in the northern country and he stays there for a while, and then God reaffirms his promise and at age 75, he leaves Haran, and he begins to travel southwest in a southwesterly direction toward the land of Canaan that God said, I will give you a promised land for your promised people. So we know Abraham's believing, but yet he is struggling with unbelief. How do I know that? Well, just here's what's been happening in chapters 12, 13, and 14, which leads up to our passage in chapter 12. We saw last week he believes, he leaves, he follows. But then out of fear for his life, he has to go down to Egypt when things get tough. He actually lies about his wife and puts her health and her life at risk. Now God intervenes and rescues Sarah from being Pharaoh's wife. That's not God's plan, you know. So, you know, the, the scoundrel. I mean, Abraham was a scoundrel. How many women would put up with that? But, you know, but then God saves Sarah, and Sarah goes back to Abraham, and, and Pharaoh says, man, your God is too awesome. I don't want, I, you made your God angry. You made me make your God angry. Get out of here. And he sends him north, and he comes back up. So he comes back up to the chosen land. So Abraham has his ups and downs. That's what I want you to see. Even in chapter 13, there's another great story that we don't have time to study, but read it this week. He trusts God again. He, he, he's believing and trusting God, and God begins to bless him. And he and Lot, his nephew, are both, a lot of their wealth is tied up in their, 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 their herds. They're, they had great herds, livestock, and the livestock is multiplying. He's becoming very rich says he has much gold, much silver, and much livestock. And it gets so big that, you know, there's not enough grazing land where they were for his, his herds and Lot's herds. So what's he do? You know, Abraham has so much faith, he, he says to Lot, okay, Lot, look, look, Lot, you pick the land that you want. You pick the direction you want to go, whichever, wherever you think the land's the best, I'll take what's left over. So, wow, that takes a lot of faith, right? So he lets Lot pick. Now, where's Lot pick? We're going to see later in the, in the story, in the series. Lot picks the land that is the best, with the most grazing land and the best grass and plenty of water. He picks the land near a couple cities called Sodom and Gomorrah. You ever heard of those? Yeah, not a good place to live. 
In fact, we learn later that Lot actually settles down. He gets him a nice house in Sodom and begins to live amongst other pagan people with some very nasty practices. And we're going to see later it gets Lot into trouble. But the point is this. Abraham trusted his God so much that he gave away the best land to Lot. And then God came to Abraham in chapter 13. Look at verse 14. Now look at your Bibles with me. Chapter 13, verse 14. God was impressed with Abram. He says, And the Lord came to Abram after Lot had separated from him. And he said, Abram, now lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are upon a hill. I want you to look north, south, east, and west. For all the land that you see, I will give to you and to your descendants forever. And I will make your descendants as the dust of the earth. So if anyone can number the dust of the earth, that's how your descendants can also be numbered. And it says that Abraham believed God. And it says, And Abraham moved his tent, and he came and he dwelt by the oaks of Mamre, which are in Hebron. And there he built an altar to the Lord. He's worshiping his God. He relocates away from Lot to this, uh, near this area called Hebron. Now, Hebron is uh, still a city in, uh, in uh, Israel, by the way, under Palestinian control, actually, so you can't, it's not an easy place to visit. It's a great city, though, great name. In fact, my newest grandson, you know what his name is? Samuel Hebron Shell. Isn't that strange? Yeah. You know what my dad's name was? Hebron Burke. Oh, coincidence. Now you know why I go by H. Dale Burke. Yeah, I don't use the H word. But that's actually what it is. It's actually my name. You know, so it's, it's a cool story. I think that Abraham actually settles in the town that I'm, I'm named after, which is kind of fun. So the bottom line is, uh, he's worshiping his God. Abram's on a high point. Chapter 14, another story goes down where uh, Lot, Lot's living where? Talk to me. Sodom. He's living in Sodom, very rich area, very rich land. There's a whole bunch of uh, kings from the north that kind of form a coalition. They sweep through, they conquer Sodom and Gomorrah and that area, and they actually take Lot hostage and take him off with them. So now, Abraham, who's down at Hebron, he hears, hey, your nephew Lot just got taken into captivity along with the king of Sodom and these guys. And so what's Abraham do? He says, well, that'll teach him a lesson. No, no, no. He trusts his God again. He forms an army. He heads north. He rescues Lot, conquers the ones that came through and, and caused all the trouble, and, um, and then he has enough faith that what happens is the king of Sodom actually says, Lot, and he says, Abraham, thank you so much. Abram, thank you for rescuing us. He says, by the way, just give me back my people, but you take all the wealth that comes out of conquering these folks that conquered us. You can have the wealth. You know what Abram says? He says, you know something? I don't even want a single sandal strap from you you keep the wealth you know why because someday when God blesses me I don't want people to say wow the king of Sodom made me wealthy I want my success I want my blessings to be coming from my almighty God and I'm not taking any of your of your wealth so you take the wealth you go back I'm going back to Hebron and you know so you see the faith of this guy right so he's just turned down 
a big passel of money that he was being offered by the, the king of this place called Sodom. And, and, and now our story begins in chapter 15. Because if you understand that's just happened, now you can understand chapter 15, verse 1. Here it goes. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, Do not fear, Abram, I am a shield to you. Your reward shall be very great. And God reaffirms Abram's uh, story. In other words, what we've done now, let me, we've, we've shifted into the story of the day. My summary of the day, if you want to know where we're headed, is this. The God of our fathers, of Abraham, who is our God too, he is faithful to deliver on his promises even when we aren't faithful. Even when we don't believe, he is going to deliver on his promise. So just peg that away. That's the big idea of the morning. So God now speaks. And you got to realize that when Abram left to first enter this area called Canaan, how old was he? Anybody remember? Who got that? 75, yeah. He was 75. Now you fast forwarded. Abram's been praying for a baby. He's been praying for his child to be born so that he can be the father of many nations because guess what? You don't become the father of many nations with many descendants unless you have the first baby boy. That's where it begins. And God hasn't delivered that. And it's not just been a day or two. You know, it's pretty easy to read from chapter 12 to chapter 15. It's now probably eight, nine, almost ten years later. So almost ten years have gone by. Abraham's frustrated. He's been trying his best to have a baby. I'm sure he and Sarah have been faithfully doing what they need to do to have a baby. That's the only good thing in this story. Sometimes when you wait, it's fun. But the reality is, I shouldn't have said that. Yeah, I should. But the reality is, Abraham and Sarah, they've been waiting. They've been doing their deal, praying for a pregnancy. And then month after month after month, they're disappointed. Been going on for almost 10 years. Now you understand why in the very next verse, God finally speaks. It's been almost 10 years since God has spoken. And now God finally speaks and he says, Abraham, man, that was so great of you to turn down that money from the king of Sodom. And he says, don't worry, I'm your shield. I will be your rewarder. And Abraham's response is this, verse 2. Oh, Lord God, what will you give me since I am childless? In other words, what he's saying is, you know, God, it's nice that you're offering to reward me, but I don't want your money, God. I want a baby because I'm still childless. If I don't have a child, this promise of the great nation is going to go down the tubes. So, you know, Abraham is frustrated with God. That's what's behind that statement. And he kind of expresses it. So what we're moving into now is God says, all right, I'm going to reaffirm my covenant that you will be a great nation in a great land to be a blessing to all the earth. And he moves into doing something to say, okay, Abraham, I understand how frustrated you are. Abraham actually says, hey, right now, if I died today, it would be one of my servants' sons that would inherit everything. I need an heir. I need a child. So, God now gives Abraham not one, but two object lessons. Sometimes God teaches through object lessons. What are they? Number one, first object lesson is Abraham, go outside and count the stars. Go out and count the stars. He says it 
in verse 4. So behold, the word of the Lord came to Abram, saying, This man will not be your heir, but one who will come forth from your own body. He shall be your heir. And he took him outside and said, Now look toward the heavens and count the stars, if you're able to count them. And he said, So shall your descendants be. You're going to have as many descendants as the stars in the sky, in the sense that you can't even count them all. And then Abraham woke up his faith. In verse 6, very important verse, says, Then Abram believed in the Lord, and he reckoned it, or counted it, to him as righteousness. Abraham believed God's promise, and it was counted to Abraham as righteousness before God. You know what that means? If you keep your finger here and you go to Romans... Flip back with me real quick to Romans chapter 4, the New Testament, okay? In the New Testament, uh, the Apostle Paul is explaining that we are saved and forgiven, made righteous before God, not by our works, but by our faith. Guess what story he picks to, to teach it? He picks this story about Abraham, and he quotes from that very story, and it says this in, Ab in uh, Romans chapter 4, it says, for does not the scripture say, it says, for if Abraham was justified by his works, uh, then he'd have something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? And he quotes the Old Testament. Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works for something, his wage is not credited as a gift or a favor, but as what's due. But to him who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is credited as righteousness. In other words, he's saying, look, Abraham was saved not by being a good guy, not by what he did, but simply because he believed God's promise. He believed the promise of God, and it was given, uh, and it was credited to him as righteousness, as salvation as forgiveness so then abraham has his faith restored but then abraham asks another question he says but god how do i know that i'm going to possess the land verse 8 i mean it's nice that you're going to give me a child you're promising that now but you know this is a big land and in fact i've just been to war with several different of the kings all the, each, pretty much, when you talk about a king in the Old Testament, usually these were like, uh, uh, picture this, each city was its own little kingdom, and each city had a king, and, and, and they kind of, you know, ruled their little area, and they often had alliances with each other, and Abraham knew that he was living in a land that was very popular, that was already populated by a whole bunch of people. So this is, you know, Abraham says, how do I know that you're going to let me possess this land? Object lesson number two. And this one's really strange, but wonderful. He says, God, how do I know, verse 8, that I will possess it? Object lesson 2. He says, so bring me a three-year-old heifer. Now, a three-year-old heifer would be a fully mature but yet young. So this is prime beef. Picture it that way, okay? Three-year-old heifer. Bring me a three-year-old female goat and a three-year-old ram and a turtle dove and a young pigeon. And then Abram brought all these to God, and he had them cut them in two, and he laid them 
half opposite of the other. But he did not cut the birds, he just laid them out. The birds of prey began coming down to the carcass and Abraham had to drive them off. So what's God having Abram do? Now you've got to picture this. He says, Abraham, I want you to take this, this full mature heifer, a ram, a, a goat. I want you to slice them in half. It's kind of gruesome, but hang with me. Dinner's coming, okay? Slice them in half and lay the two pieces apart from each other. And he does that. And he has these sacrifices, bloodied up, sliced in half, laid out. Now, the reason he did that was this. There was an ancient tradition that if you were making an agreement or a covenant with somebody, they would often take this and they would take a sacrifice, they would slice it apart and lay the pieces out, and the two people making the covenant with each other would walk together through those sliced open animals and the intent was to say this if i fail to fulfill my promise to you then let it be done so much to me let this be done to me Woohoo! <laughs> okay that's a serious commitment right okay so that's the tradition and, and that's what they're about to do and abraham expects probably to walk through there with god but then something strange happens verse 12 now when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram, and behold, terror and great darkness fell upon him. And God said to Abram, Know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs. Well, they will be enslaved and oppressed for 400 years. But I will also judge the nation whom they serve, and afterwards they will come out of that nation with many possessions. As for you, you'll go to be with your fathers in peace. In other words, you're going you're to die and pass away in peace at a ripe old age. You will be buried at a, as, at a good old age. But then the fourth generation after you, they will return here for the iniquity of the Amorite, which were living in the land that he was in, is not yet complete. If I can give you the simple explanation, it's, this what god says to abram is this he says abram you've been asking me are you going to have this land yes but not until as your descendants begin to multiply guess what i'm going to move them to a land another land we learned that this happens later in where where do they go egypt right so four generations later under joseph they go down to egypt they're in egypt for how many years do you know 400, actually 430, but in here they're just rounding it off. He says, your, your, my, your descendants are going to multiply like crazy, but it's not going to happen here. It's going to happen in another land for 400 years. And then I'll make you a great nation. And then when I'm ready to punish the Amorites, because by the way, the Amorites were wicked people. They sacrificed babies in worship. They did all kinds of stuff like that. And God says, when their iniquity is ready to be judged, I'm going to use your people and we're going to come back to this land. I'm going to give you this land and I'll punish the Amorites in the process. But so Abraham, yes, I'm going to give you a great nation, but it's not going to be the way you'd expect. It's going to be through some hardship. But the promise is going to be fulfilled. And then, to cap it off, verse 17, he says, and it came about that when the sun had set, and it was very dark. Behold, there appeared a smoking oven. In Hebrew, it could be translated a smoking pot. 
it's like a ceremonial pot that they would, they would build a fire in in these kind of ceremonies. A smoking pot and a flaming torch which passed, as Abraham watched, they passed between the pieces of the sacrifice. Because on that day the Lord made a covenant with Abraham saying, to your descendants I have given this land. From the river of Egypt as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, and then he names all the different people that lived in the land. I'm talking about the land of the, the Kenite and the Kenizzite and the, and, and the Cadmonites and the Hittites and the Parasites. These are great names for your next baby, by the way. Those of you that are pregnant, okay. Maybe the Parasite. And, and I'm sorry, I'm just kidding. That's a weird name, isn't it? Yeah. So, you know, all of these people, he names all the people of the land. Now, this is a very specific promise. God promised to give to Israel, not just to be a great nation, but to give them a land. And by the way, they've yet to possess all of this land. But I think God's promises are always true, and someday they will. Someday they will. If you want to read about it, it's someday in the future when Christ returns. There will be a time in which I think Israel will turn back to God and actually become followers of Jesus Christ and will actually possess in God's kingdom all of this land that he's describing here. This is not a spiritual promise for spiritual blessing. He's promised them, he gives them the geographical boundaries and he names all the different people that live there. And he says, I'm going to give you this great land, make you a great nation, but not until you suffer and go through some hard times. Now, what's the significance of the torch? It's kind of a mystery, but the, the, very best, uh, the, one, the very best scholars that study this tell us that this pot and this torch are representatives of God, of, of God's judgment. And it says what, what God is saying is this, Abram, we're not going to walk through together. I'm walking through by myself. And the idea is that God passes between these split-open sacrifices saying to Abram, I'm committed to fulfill my promise, no matter what you do. In other words, God is saying, I promise. I promise based on who I am, not, on, not based on what you do. And it's a great picture, by the way, of our relationship with Jesus Christ and the promise of our salvation by His grace. It's never based on who we are and what we do. It's simply based on the faithfulness of God and His promises and what Christ did on the cross for our sins. God guarantees our salvation. God assures our future. And it's not because of anything we can do. That's what He's saying to Abraham. This is my promise to you, period. So God reaffirms His covenant promise. Now, if we had time, there's another whole sermon, but we decided just to give you the highlights. Chapter 16 is important because it reinforces the idea that, you know, it's sure not because Abraham's perfect that God makes this promise. What's he do in chapter 16? You can read it later. But basically, in chapter 16, Abraham and Sarah say, okay, God, thanks for the reaffirmation. And they continue to go back to doing what they do, to have a baby. They continue to be childless. Eventually, Sarah comes up with plan B. And basically, the story ends in chapter 16 as Abraham and Sarah, they say, you know something, maybe God wants us to come up with another solution. He's obviously not making us pregnant. So, again, following one of the pagan traditions 
of that day, Sarah says, you know, I have this Egyptian handmaid that is one of my servants. Um, she can be a surrogate. Uh, you take her as a wife. You go into her. You can bear a child through her. And if you have a child through her, that child will be our heir. And they have a baby named Ishmael. And by the way, today, to this day, um, Ishmael is looked on uh, by the Islamic nations as their connection back to Abraham. They are the children of Ishmael. They are the descendants of Ishmael, just like the Jews are the descendants of the young man you'll meet next week called Isaac. But the point is, Abraham and Sarah say, you know something, if God can't solve this problem, we will. So what do we learn from this? What is our big takeaways? Let me give them to you in some very short statements that you can uh, write down if you want to. Because when we, we go from Abram's story to our story, you know, what we learn is our God is always faithful to deliver on his promises even when we don't. That's the big idea of the morning. We learn several things. Number one, we have one God, Old Testament and New, who is now and forever unchanged. Some people get the idea that the Old Testament God is so different from the God, the Father, in the New Testament, and Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit. The reality is this is the same God. He's a God of justice. He's a God who's sovereign over human history. He's a God that when He has a plan, you can't stop it. But He's a God whose plans are often not the same as our plans. Number two, we have one Heavenly Father who is faithful to follow through on His promises. He always delivers. That's the big idea with Abram. Is even though Abram is one day he's lying about his wife to Pharaoh, another day he's, he's doing this, his faith goes up, his faith goes down. He, you know, he's, next thing you know, he's sleeping with his wife's handmaiden to have a baby that he's not supposed to have. And, and, you know, and the, the reality is God fulfills His promises. And God's plans can't be stopped by our idiocies. Number three, there is one salvation, Old Testament, New Testament. In chapter, chapter 15, 6, it says, Then Abram believed in the Lord, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. That exact verse is quoted in Romans about our salvation. And people often wonder, okay, how are we saved? And isn't it different today than it was for Abraham? And the answer is really no. Let me try to explain a very difficult subject in two minutes. Are you ready? Here we go. Here's how I'd explain it. We are always Old Testament or New Testament. In the past or today, we are always saved by grace through faith, not through our works. And we're always saved based on the work of Christ on the cross for our sin. Without that, we, we can, no one could be saved. Abraham or you and me you say well Dale kind of explain to me then because does that mean Abraham put his faith in Christ and I think the answer to that is no if you go to the story and read it or many other Old Testament stories in which people became believers and were saved and given eternal life and forgiven of their sins it they, they don't always have sometimes there's a there's a hint of a perhaps there's a coming Messiah or perhaps there's a coming sacrifice but in many of these stories there's no indication here that Abraham believed in Jesus Abraham believed the promise of God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness he was given eternal life 
me show you a chart. This chart is in your handout. So take this, maybe paste it in the back of your Bible if it helps you. But on the handout, you'll see a chart. It's the handout that you pull out. It's the sermon. You see that? And in this handout, here, here's what it illustrates. I'll bring it up on the screen. What it illustrates is in the Old Testament times, people like Abraham, mankind looked forward in faith, putting their faith in, in God. And as they looked forward, believing the promises of God, in this case, Abraham's promise that he would be the father of many children, many descendants, God, God by his grace, declared Abraham forgiven because of his faith, not his works. Got it? Now today it's a little different. Today when you read scripture, we have a little more clear focus about what our faith is focused on. Our faith is focused on Christ's sacrifice on the cross, on God's grace expressed in the death and resurrection of Christ for our sins. Now we understand the sacrifice of all sacrifices that gives us eternal life. So we look to the cross in faith, not works, and we are still saved by grace through faith as we look to the cross. But it leaves a bit of a mystery. How could God forgive these Old Testament characters whenever they perhaps didn't even know anything about the cross and Jesus? Here's why. When they were looking to the Father of grace, to the God of grace, putting themselves at His mercy by faith, the God of grace was always looking at the cross. So even if they didn't have a clear picture of the cross, God the Father always had a clear picture of the cross. God is outside of time. He's eternal. He already knew what Jesus would come and do in dying for Abram's sins and Sarah's sins. And they were many, right? They're dying for our sin. So the key really is Old Testament saints were, were putting their faith in God and His promises and God was forgiving them because He knew that those sins would someday be paid for on the cross. It helps me understand how it works. We have one way to God. It's the same as it was then. If you've never chosen that, that is, according to Jesus, He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Final two observations of the morning are shorter. Number one, man, Abram illustrates one common struggle that we have, which is to trust God even when he seems silent. I kind of started with this at the beginning of the message. But I know in my life, there have been times when I'm not sure what God is doing. I'm frustrated with God. I'm praying that he'll give me the right solution. And I'm confused. I feel like I'm on hold with God. I've been put on hold. Dale, obey me, follow me, trust me, but listen to the music and you'll see the solution later. That's how it's gone. And the fact is, God wants me to trust Him, not just when He's clear and vocal. He wants me to trust Him when He's silent. He wants me to trust Him when He's saying, Dale, just wait. You've got to realize that even in Abram's life, we have about three or four times recorded that he actually heard from God a clear message. But then it would go eight, nine, ten years and he doesn't hear anything from God. He's just got to keep doing what God has asked him to do. Live in simple obedience. Follow your God. In our case, follow Christ 
in simple obedience and trust that God will answer your prayers in His time. That's not easy. It's not easy. So that's a common struggle that we have with Abram. And last but not least, avoid the common human tendency that we have with him, which is when God doesn't act quick enough, we tend to say, okay, God, I got another plan B. I'll do it myself. And sometimes we're even tempted to take a sinful path to fulfill a promise from God himself. God says, don't do that. Don't have your Ishmael. Wait. Wait on me. You're on hold for a reason. And I'm in tune with your needs. Trust me. I don't know what it is in your life that God is asking you to trust me today. But whatever it is, look to Abram. Look to his pluses, but also his failures. And say, God, even on hold, I thank you that you love me, you died for me, and you're worthy of my trust. Pray with me. Father God, thank you so much. Thank you for the promises that we receive from your word. Uh, Thank you for the example of, of a man that had all kinds of flaws, but yet you were faithful to fulfill your promises in his life. Thank you for next week when we're going to see that promise literally come to birth. We love you. So, Father, whatever it is that we're struggling with right now, whatever it is that we're wishing you would you would, uh, you would take our call. You would give the answer. Uh, help us to be willing uh, to wait and to wait in faith. In Christ's name, amen.